Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello there, and it's Hello. great to be back. I'm very happy today to have a great guest, and we're actually going to be talking about grief and loss. My guest is Michelle A. Gill, and she's an author and speaker who normalizes the conversations about grief and loss, mental health advocacy, and disability awareness. Her upcoming memoir, Don't Tell Me to Get Over It, Father's Love, Daughter's Grief, comes out as an ebook very soon. When she's not writing, she's trying new recipes from around the world. I hear she is quite the foodie. And she's holding space for those who are hurting and trying to convince her two cats who think they're Egyptian gods that they've already been fed. Without further ado, I, I really am thrilled to invite you to join us here. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's it's just incredible. I did get to see one of the cats, so I'm I'm quite happy about that. I <laughs> um, always like to see our our animal friends. Um, out of frame now. Don't see him now, but who knows? We may we may get a, a visit. Oh, come sometimes, back. Yeah, <laughs> we sometimes get visits <laughs> in the middle or at the end, <laughs> and then my little dog will sometimes join in as well. So Michelle is called the grief curator and i think that's a that's a really interesting uh title because if you're not claiming to be an expert you're not claiming to have all the answers you're simply i think offering to me your hand to others out there that's how that comes across well, that's excellent because that is how it should come across. I am not a therapist. I am not licensed for that. I simply hold space for people who have experienced um, a significant loss. And this loss could be the loss of a human being. It could be the loss of a pet. It could be the loss of a dream. It could be the loss of a job. It could be even the loss of a country. I simply hold space for those who are hurting. Often, in, especially in American and Western, uh, certain pockets of Western society, our grief is not acknowledged. It's, we're told, like the title of my book, to just get over it. Because grief and loss make other people uncomfortable. So I am simply here to normalize those conversations, to kind of end the stigma as we fight to end the stigma around uh, mental health, um, illness, and things like that. Um, I want to end the stigma that surrounds grief these days. I, I think that's absolutely wonderful. And 
That's exactly why I invited you to be my guest, because an awful lot of what we do here at Suicides and Forgiveness is mm -hmm. in the stigma to take away the guilt and in and, and the shame and, and in often in cases, the embarrassment for people who feel those around them are about done with their grief and, and they ought to be as mm -hmm. well. Uh, which can be really hard when when you're one that's left behind, whether that's a human or or a pet or as you say, loss of a job or a company, or, excuse me, country or relationship. All of those things are are loss, and mm -hmm. not to put too fine a point on it, but let's let's define, if you will, what's the difference between loss and grief. Well, loss, of course, is the thing that happens to you. It's uh, something something or someone that is no longer in your life. That is, it is a void. It's an absence. Grief is the reaction to that absence and that, uh, that void. So those, that's the main, the main difference. I mean, grief is the, the emotion that accompanies that. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of, I guess, the natural part of the healing process. That, that comes. Grief. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And very much so. I, I think it's important that, specifically in death, you know, you often hear about the stages of grief. And mm -hmm. I know, I think for the most part, it's the seven stages of grief. And not a lot of people don't agree with that. A lot of people say, different for everybody and I, I, I would really like to hear your take on on that the stages of grief so, or or after whatever yeah so the stages of grief generally the five stages of grief is the ones that are most people are familiar with that is taken from Elizabeth Kubler Ross's book on death and dying uh, it was groundbreaking uh, back when it was published. Um, my goodness, I don't remember how long ago it was now. But it was mainly written for those who have received a terminal diagnosis. It was to help somebody who is in the act of dying to to go through stages of, okay, I'm I have this diagnosis now. It was uh, mainly for cancer patients, but it uh, applies to anyone with a terminal diagnosis. And it has since been applied to people who are going through the grieving process. And that's not really what it was for. And um, an, an, an author that worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, for an update to that book was David Kessler. And he is an amazing author and an amazing person in the grief space. I highly recommend uh, following him because he, he has taken it now to the next level of how do people who are left behind grieve. And there are still stages or phases in the grieving process, but it is not linear. It does not, you know, it doesn't go in a very nice, neat package. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great if it oh, did yeah. work that way? But it doesn't. Um, and in fact, it's been, so I lost my dad in 2018, which is what kind of propelled me into the grief space. Um, after a year I realized I need to um, channel this. I need to use this pain 
for something. And I realized because I had joined grief groups like on Facebook and the they I kept hearing these things of nobody nobody understands people tell me to stop talking about it they don't want me to mention my loved one's name they think that um i'm being over dramatic because it was just a pat it was just a dog or it was just a cat um things like this and it was coming from friends and family uh, specifically in fact one person mentioned that their boyfriend had said you really need to stop crying now because it's already been two weeks since she had lost her mother and I was, of course, you know, I'm in there typing away, like, oh, uh, two weeks? Hello, I'm still crying, and it's been four years now. Um, and so this, I, this idea that grief has an expiration date, and I'm going to say something a little controversial. The American Psychological Society or Association came out with um, this new disorder definition. And it's called prolonged grief disorder. Now, the issue I have with this is that the timeline is six months after a loss. Uh, no. Okay. So as somebody who is in the process of still grieving her father, I'm like, uh, six months is nothing. When you compare that to how many years, and I'm going to make myself cry, how many years we had together. So I, I was appalled, but I was like, okay, I'm not like, I'm not trained. Maybe I'm missing something. So I talked to several different therapists that uh, clinical therapists who actually see patients and some who are actually in the grief space. And I said, what, what do you think about this? And um, I got a lot of eye rolls and um, basically they said, no, this is BS. <laughs> And some of the reason why it was done was so that insurance companies would cover, I guess, um, the therapy that you might want uh, when you're going through the grieving process. And I was like, something, okay, sort of but we are already fighting against a stigma around grief. This makes it worse because now you're going to, you're stick a label on it that it's a disorder. No, it's not. It is natural. It is normal to grieve a loss. And yeah. now I will say that if it, there may get to a point where it really affects your, your, how you live your day to day. Okay. Well then you need to go. I mean, I went and saw a therapist a year, almost, almost to the, the day that my father passed. I had been in therapy before I believe in therapy. And at that point I said, you know, I need to go for a tune up because I can't, I can't cope. I feel like this isn't getting any better. And, um, and of course it was, there was more to it than just, of course, my father's death. There was a lot of other unpacking that needed to be done. So I highly recommend therapy. I, I think everybody should be in therapy because I haven't met anyone who doesn't have some trauma or um, emotional damage that they need to deal with, but to put a label like a disorder um, oh. was a little disheartening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really have a problem with that. Yeah. Because I, I think we all take whatever time we take, but uh, right. over the weekend, spent time with my father and we lost my mom in 2012. Mm -hmm. I lost my best friend in 2010. 
I lost my friend that I started this whole thing for when we were 16. And I lost my, my grandmother in 1985. And I lost my sister last October. And over the weekend, being with the family and celebrating uh, two people's birthdays, there was grief with us. There was definite grief in the room. And, and I have to allow myself to not sort of focus on the time frame. Because Andrea has been gone a very long time. I'm 67 years old and she left when I was 16. That's a very long time. And Jackie, because I always say their names, who, who was my friend in 2010. I mean, that's been quite a while too, 22 years. My mom's, well, my mom's name was Ellen, but she was known as Eleanor. My grandmother was known as Grand Grand, but her name was Mary. And my sister's name was Carol. Mm. All of them in saying their name. And, and your dad's name was? Was John, um, but he was he was born in Poland, so it was Jan. Jan. Oh, that's lovely. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to say their name. And I'm, I'm afraid I, I would have to fight with the American Association. <laughs> I do understand that there can be an extended period that allows people to become stuck. Mm -hmm. I do not consider it a disorder right? because it is proven that um, corvids, uh, crows and ravens and, and those kind of birds have funeral type services for those they lose. They grieve. Mm -hmm. Elephants grieve. Okay, so if the animals grieve and the birds grieve, who are we to decide that this is a disorder? Mm. Yeah, I, I have to say, I find that kind of offensive. Yeah, um, and like I said, you know, we're already fighting. Uh, the average bereavement leave here in the United States uh, for a company is about three days. That's not enough time even to bury somebody. No. So, I was lucky enough that I had leave accrued. And so I took off, I took off my three bereavement days and then I took off a couple of days that week. We buried, so my father died on a Sunday. We buried him that Saturday. Um, and, and then I took, I think I took off the next week. I can't, I can't remember. Um, everything was kind of a blur. That's one of the things that happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, my goodness, I didn't even eat the first couple of days uh, because it just um, didn't have the energy, wasn't focused on that. It was just shock. So I think I took off the next week. Um, and then I think the week after that, I worked from home. This was pre-COVID. So uh, that was yeah. kind of a kind of a big deal. And I got and I did um, hear some flack about it from uh, coworkers, which just boggled my mind. But anyway, uh, you know, a lot of people, they don't have that option. They may not have the leave accrued or may, they may be in a type of job where um, they can't, they aren't allowed to take the time off. I don't know. And it's to me, that's, let me tell you that first week, if I had had to go in the first week, things would not have gotten done properly. I would have probably been sitting at my desk crying um, and in fact, when I went back, 
people would, and people were very kind for the most part. Yes. Um, but they would ask, you know, how are, how are you, how are you doing today? <laughs> and, uh, it was all I could do not to break down. And there were a couple of times when I would just go to, I would go to the bathroom and just cry, uh, because it was very difficult. Um, and definitely the first six months are the most difficult. Yes. Up to, to the first year. I mean, it's just because you're experiencing all the firsts without that person. Yes. Um, and yeah. And, you know, I can only imagine since you work with, um, with talking about suicide, I mean, all, all loss has, there's the grief has some similar components. Yes. But when you lose somebody to suicide, I can only imagine it's like a double helping of grief and guilt because even yeah. with losing my dad and he was 94 and a lot of people was like, wow, wow. he was, you know, he was 94. He was ready to go. Um, why are you grieving somebody who had, you know, and that was one of the things I heard too, that was actually not, don't say that. Um, and they said, well, he lived a, he lived a full life. He did. That's not why I'm grieving. That has nothing to do with <laughs> Because he's not here anymore. And I would prefer him to be here. Um, yes. But yeah, but I can only imagine, you know, I experienced regret, deep regret oh, yeah. um, and what ifs. And so I can only imagine the pain that is felt by those who have lost somebody to suicide. It, it's uh, it, it, there, there are those, those added burdens, the added questions of, well, what if, like, how, what did I miss? How, how did I not? In my case, I put down the phone, I dialed the number, and just as it started to ring, I put it down because it was New Year's Eve, and I was terrified I was going to wake up her aunt and uncle, that she was kind of babysitting, and, and that tormented me forever. What if, what if? So yeah, it is, it is kind of an, an additional burden that you have, but... Mm. The one thing I that will I say this. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, just the one thing I figured out when we lose someone, all of the funeral and the reception and all of that, it's not about them going, it's about us being left behind. Yes. Yeah. And that's a really, really important to di distinction to understand that those trappings are for us that are still here. Yes. And I think that there is a quote about that, about the funerals being for the living, not the, not the dead. It is a way to honor them, certainly, but it is a ritual that is so... I believe is so necessary. One of the things, and I talk about it in my book because it was uh, there was a little bit of a funny story about it. But at the actual burial, I told them, I told, I said, I want to be able to put dirt on top of the casket, and I want you to lower it while we're there. For two reasons: one, um, I really trusted the cemetery people, they, they were absolutely fantastic.
but I, but I wanted to make sure, you know, that the casket goes in and everything. Cause you hear stories, but mostly it was that act of seeing it being lowered, like psh, the end. I really needed that. Now my sisters thought that that was over dramatic and they didn't really, they didn't see a need for it. But for me, I was like, I need to do this for myself. You needed closure. Yes. Yeah. That's why I think it's, um, so in my tradition, so I was raised Catholic. Um, we have the wake before the funeral um, where or sometimes called a viewing in other cultures. And I think that too is necessary. At least it's necessary for me to see, to see, okay, here they are. This was not an illusion of my mind. This actually happened. Yes. Here's their body. They're not really there. That was one of the things that really stuck, um, stuck out to me was being like, he's not there. That personality, the soul, it's gone. Gone. And it's um, really important. I understand. I understand. I understand people who who think that viewings are a little morbid. Um, if you can't handle it, then that's fine. But but don't take that away from people who need that closure. Absolutely, it's such a good point that you brought up, Michelle, because Andrea was Jewish. Mm. Andrea had to be buried before sundown mm. that day. And there isn't viewing in the Jewish religion. Mm -hmm. And for the five of us, four of whom were Catholic, mm -hmm. one who was Protestant, it left us undone. Mm -hmm. Not only had we been jolted out of our lives by this shock, but we were totally undone because what we had known, and not that that any of us had been to many funerals. Um, a boy that I went to school with, his sister died of cancer in grade six. So there was a funeral and, and there was one family funeral. So it's not like it was a an often thing, but not having that wake. I'm Scots-Irish, so that's a really big deal. Uh, the wake part and, and the celebrating the life of the person that, that you have now lost. So not having those things left a big hole in the fabric of those rituals. And it took a really long time to understand why that was important. Now, something that, thank God, you didn't have to go through with your dad, it was pre-COVID. The people mm, in the first right. year of COVID was heartbreaking because right. my girlfriend, who was one of our friends with Andrea, we're still friends, Marnie's sister died. And we had to wait a few months before we could even have the mass because mm -hmm. in times of COVID, you couldn't have anybody come to the funeral. And for my sister last October, we, it was much smaller, but we were able to have a wake and have at the funeral home, all her friends came and, and, and everyone got to, to come and 
say say their their piece. Mm -hmm. uh, my sister was cremated, so we didn't actually have a viewing. But um, her friends all brought. It's, well, it's, it's now in the States, so you, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, a Tim Hortons coffee. Oh, yeah. My sister and her friends did a lot of uh, volunteer work in um, old folks' homes, and they would go in and help ladies with their hair and makeup and play games and sing and, and do whatever. But they were very much into their coffee. And in the funeral parlor, we had coffee cups lined up right across the mantle of the fireplace under the video that was playing of all the pictures of my sister. Mm -hmm. It was so typically her. And we, we got to play her music. The one thing she had said about funerals, she didn't want funeral music. So we had Ghostbusters playing and we had <laughs> U2 and all of her music was playing. And at the graveside, her grandkids, we all got to put a little something in mm. with her urn that meant something. And the kids wrote her notes. And I thought, you know, it's funny, but coming through COVID has given us a more uh, individual way of closing out our time with mm. someone. And, and I just have to say it because it's so bizarre, but I put in a fire truck. <laughs> a little red <laughs> fire truck. Because when my sister and I were arguing, which we did a lot, at family dinners and stuff, I would suddenly turn around and go, fire truck. And my sister would burst out laughing. My sister had the most incredible giggle in the world. And you could hear it all over. So it was it was a, a good little piece. And the cemetery uh, director said, you know, I've never seen <laughs> a burial <laughs> quite like this. He said, um, but it's there's so much love and joy among you. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of nice as we mm -hmm. as we played Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so even in grief and loss, you can find joy. Oh, yes. Yes, they are not. They are they are companions, uh, grief yeah. and joy. Um, it's one of the things that I talk about. I do most of my holding space on Clubhouse. I love the Clubhouse app. Um, and one of the things that I, that I remind people is, especially this time of year during the holidays, is that it is okay to laugh again and it's okay to feel joy and it's okay to, to have those moments of pure magic in your life that doesn't negate the loss or the absence it doesn't negate the real agony and grief that you feel. It's just part of life because you can't, you can't stay stuck there. You know, that would be the issue if you lived the rest of your life at the edge of the grave. It, you know, now I don't tell people 
Because one of the things um, that really irks grievers is when somebody says, well, they wouldn't want you to feel sad. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, my first my first response is, like, hell, I do want you to feel sad when I'm gone. <laughs> I know my mother did. Me. My mother wanted us all to be sad because she wasn't right? there. That, that sadness is a natural reaction yeah. to losing something that was hopefully beautiful. Yeah. Although I also hold space for people who have very complicated grief because yes. the person that yeah. died was not an upstanding citizen, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, for the most part, I say, you know, there, I, I have days when um, I just see the beauty of nature or, you know, whatever it is, my, my enjoy my hobbies that is still there. And in the midst of even the most joyous time, I will think of my father and I will start crying. So they coexist. Um, you do, it is also normal to feel guilt for that. So guilt is a very normal reaction as well. Yeah. But I just tell them, you know, lean into that and then embrace whatever feeling it is and then and then let it go take a deep breath and say okay okay so uh yeah <laughs> that's uh, that's absolutely wonderful and and we make a habit and and i tell everybody in the suicide group as well mm. trot out those stories keep those memories alive my mm -hmm. grandchildren know as much about my grandmother as I do. And they'd never mm -hmm. met her. You know, mm -hmm. my, my son was three. Yeah, he was three when my grand grand, grand died. Uh, my daughter's older and my nephew's older than my son. So they had her for a little more time. But we'll all be having dinner. The family will be talking about something and somebody will say, oh, oh, well, grand-grand would have done X, Y, Z. You know, or, oh, yeah, grand-grand would love that. It's, and, you know, the kids, the kids traveled with my parents a lot. So it's, oh, you know, granny would have liked to see that. Or we're going somewhere, mm -hmm. granny would have liked that. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we nurture those memories. Because as much as we, we're no longer the little villages and the, and the little tribes, we mm -hmm. still need to bring their souls with us, bring mm -hmm. the spirit of those that have gone before us. Because I, I yeah. think that's what weighs us up, if you will, in difficult times. Yeah. That's why I also tell people, you know, write the letter, write the card, especially today when we're so digitized. One of the regrets that I had after losing my father was that he was one of those strong, silent types. And um, I definitely knew that my father loved me, but he was not a writer. And words, of course, as a, I am a writer, words are very important to me. 
And it just really was very painful to realize that I don't, I don't have very much in terms of tangible physical signs um, yeah. in terms of like letters and things like that. And people will tell me like, oh yeah, and I have letters from my father or my mother or my aunt, my beloved aunt. And it's so nice to be able to go back and read those. And so I tell people, I'm like, an email is not going to cut it when no. you're gone. Write the letter, take the time, even if it's one card a year and it doesn't yeah. have to be fancy and it doesn't have to be this thing, but just reaching, reaching out to your loved ones and letting them know. The other thing too, was not a lot of recordings um, that was on me. And so then once I realized that I started leaving voice messages again, I'd only been doing texts and things like that. I started leaving voice messages for people because yeah. in case one day, if I go before them, they'll have something tangible. They'll be able to hear my voice. I hear that a lot from people who are grieving that, oh, if they have like voicemails, yeah, silly little voicemails that just say, what do you want for dinner? I'm at the store. Yeah. nothing in there just something mundane oh but they listen to it over and over just just to hear their beloved's voice yeah my my aunt still so has leave, my leave own the voice yes yeah, my aunt still yeah. has my uncle on the on the answering machine and she's kept the answering machine so she won't get rid of his voice and he's been gone it was a 15 years now Oh, it's a little so jarring funny. for the rest of us when we call, <laughs> but we, we've all come to know that Uncle Graham will still answer the phone. <laughs> but there's a beautiful uh, story that I just read about um, in in England mm -hmm. on one of the on the tube on one of the stations. There's a voice that comes on that says "Mind the gap," and they re they upgraded the system. So the voice that they had, they got rid of it because everything was now digitized. And this woman ran up to whatever the authority is there and said, what did you do to the voice? Because it turns out it was her husband. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh. Oh, my God. And they couldn't have known. They put it back. They put it back because they had also lost people. And now and they husband for that particular station still says, mind the gap. How beautiful. It, it How really beautiful is, is that? It's little things like that. Little gifts like that. That we can afford each other. Yes. In, in the oddest of circumstances that mean the oh. world to somebody. Yeah. I think that I, that's just, that affects <laughs> me a lot. That's amazing. It's amazing. One of the things that I advocate, and I know we're probably getting close to time, is for people to reach in. Don't wait for someone to reach out. Because often, we are, those of us who are hurting are told, reach out to someone. I'm like, 
I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy. I don't feel worthy. I don't want to bother someone. So make a habit of reaching in to each other and don't ask a griever what they need. This is so common because we don't, so many of us don't have though that etiquette anymore, that the ritual around, well, what do you do? What you do is don't, don't say, well, you just call me if you need anything. You tell me what you need. We don't have the energy. Our brain isn't working. Well, not only that, you're putting the onus on the person in grief to do the work. They're doing the work of just trying to be present. Yes. Yeah. It is enough to put one foot in front of the other. So bring food over, you know, meals that can be frozen. Um, Write them a letter, write them a card, call them. Um, We had a friend who lost her husband on her birthday. He just didn't wake up. And um, she's a friend of my mom's. My mom calls her once a week just to talk, just to hear how she's doing. Obviously not well, because it's only been the first year. It's not even finished yet. And, you know, just send send them a card uh, once a month, something to let them know that you're thinking about them. That you still acknowledge them. Yes. Yeah. Because they're going to live with that for the rest of their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yes, we, we are coming close to time. That, that went so fast. Well, I'm going to ask <laughs> you, um, why don't you leave the audience? Because I think this is probably definitely in your wheelhouse. But what are a couple of healthy ways to deal with your grief? Not in the immediate aftermath, but as, as you're moving on, maybe moving back, heading to work moving back into social situations. What are, what are three things, say three things you could do that make it a little easier on yourself? Number one, absolutely number one, acknowledge the fact that you are grieving and that it is normal. You are not crazy. This is not you're not over dramatic. This is normal. It's normal to feel this. Lean into that. You know, just lean into that. Don't try to stuff down the emotion. Don't try to ignore it. Don't brush it off. I understand because I, I have been there as well. There are certain things that still need to be done while you are grieving. Life goes on. The bills still need to be paid, but that doesn't mean you can't lean into your grief and acknowledge it and, and truly feel it open, open that heart wide. You know, one of the things that we often say in the grief space is that it grief and loss like that cracks our heart wide open. I know that definitely happened for me. I had gone through some trauma and it was very closed. My heart was very closed and which was another regret that I had. But um, once my father passed, that broke, broke every wall, every gate, every chain, every lock was just 
smashed to smithereens. But lean into that. Journal. The second one is kind of closely related to that. Journal. Even if you've never journaled before, write it down. Trust me, you are going to want to read that again later. If writing isn't your forte, type it on the computer. I've done that as well. If that's not your forte, leave yourself a voice message. There are so many recording apps we have on our phones now. Um, I've done that as well. I just leave voice messages for myself. And maybe somebody will find them one day and um, that'll be part of their grieving process. But for, for now, it's just for me, you know, that whatever I need to say. Probably third, talk to your loved one that's gone. Good one. It's very, very healing. I talk to my father um, and I feel him. And I know that he still watches out for me. Um, that's three, but you know, I'll have to give you a bonus. And Good. that is once you get past a certain point and only you know what that point is, rechannel that love. Because one of my, my tagline is that grief is not a problem to be fixed. It's love with nowhere to go. And that's what I did. I rechanneled that because to me, love is energy. And I rechanneled that energy, that love for my father, that now he's not here. And I channeled it out to the grief space to, to hold space for others who are going through this because I felt so, even though I had a really supportive system, they didn't get it because they had not been through it. And this is one of the things about grief. It is very personal, a very yes. personal journey. And no one can tell you how your journey is going to look. We are all grieving alone. However, we're also grieving together. So I think of it as a parallel path that we are all on. We will see different landscapes. We will encounter different people or different creatures. Thank you but for we're listening. All kind of holding hands, walking this parallel path. It just happens to be very specific to us. Reach, reach out and reach in because now you know, and you can share that very painful wisdom with others. That's absolutely beautiful. And uh, one, one last thing I, I think, you probably agree. How do you feel about uh, bereavement support groups? Oh, I love bereavement support groups. As long as they, um, I mean, I'm sure there's probably some out there that are, um, it depends on the person who's running it, uh, quite honestly. Um, I experienced this in therapy. Not all therapists are ethical and not all therapists no. uh, know what they're talking about. So be aware, go with your gut. See, go to the go to a couple of them see how they see how they feel see if they truly hold space for your grief nobody should be trying again trying to fix this pro this problem it's not a problem they should just be holding space and allowing you to express your grief and talk about your person or whatever loss it is that you had and that there's no judgment and no there time should be no judgment, none yep. in a bereavement support group. 
we just know correct yeah there is no deadline for you to get over your grief yeah that's like that's like telling somebody to stop loving someone yeah would you tell somebody that you need to stop loving them you love them for a year now time's up yeah and not uh not not good oh that that was actually it was very freeing because i think it's important when we lose someone we're not necessarily all present in that moment Mm. You're, you're being tugged in all different directions because of all the feelings that are you know roiling through you and quite often for those that are suicide survivors Mm. There are those additional burdens of guilt and and what ifs and and all of that. So I had hoped, and I'm pretty sure today we've we've offered some tools that people can take and put in their toolboxes to have at the ready for when they need them. And don't if it feels like a loss to you. Who am I? Who is anyone to say it's not? Whatever that is for you. Mm -hmm. It's important that you honor how you feel. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Well, (laughs) uh, thank you. Thank you, Kitty. I was waiting. I was hoping we would get an animal visit. That's sort of a thing that happened. Uh, <laughs> cats are very gentle about how they pop in and out of frame. There's no loud oh, yes. So, you know, it's a little easy for people. Well, I just have to say, Michelle, thank you so much. Michelle is the grief curator. We will have all of Michelle's connections and information so that you can connect with her on social. And you heard her say Clubhouse is number one. So we will definitely have that for you as well. If you have any questions, you'll be able to connect with her on the site and be able to hear it, as you know, on all the podcast uh, platforms out there. I'm Elaine Lindsay. I thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to see you next time. And in the meantime, make the very best of your today, every day. Thanks again, Michelle. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.